You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Hey, Bracken, listen very carefully. Tell me if you hear anything, okay? Do you hear anything? You don't sound like the Tin Man anymore. Who needs oil? I got a new chair, folks. It's a very exciting day in my household. And Bracken, you must be the happiest person to hear. Oh, it's so good. I've never enjoyed not hearing something more than that. I'm rocking back and forth on my new computer chair. Something you guys don't know is that I had this old fold-up, like $15 chair I've been doing my computer work and podcast recording on, and it squeaks if I shift anything. And Bracken, what do you have to do when my chair squeaks? to edit all of it out. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure they know because sometimes if you're talking, I can't isolate the the sound profiles and I can't get rid of it. Well, this is more of a gift to you. This is the best Christmas gift I got this year. And your head looks different. My head looks different. Oh, yeah. And I got... (laughs) I got, tell them about my old headphones. Well, when Kirk bought his um, microphone and pop filter setup, it came with free headphones. He paid for the, the combo package. Yep. But as you'd expect, they kind of throw on the cheap add-on. And he completely broke them to the point where one of the, the right ear cup was dangling off of there. And he duct taped it back together. But it sits at like a 20 degree angle away from his head. <laughs> It looks like I have an ear flap, kind of like one of those Elmer Fudd hats that you pull over your ears, but one ear flap sticking out. Mm -hmm. That's how my old headphones were. So I upgraded Bracken. So I'm like, I'm really in this now. So anyways, upgrades, folks. And Bracken, you're going to be the beneficiary of that. Some people have asked what we use for our gear. So what they have? Yeah. Yeah. Some people have asked me, they're curious. For recording, I generally use Bose wired headphones, but for the editing, I use Audio Technica monitoring headphones because I'm a boss. And then we both use just a really simple uh, blue Yeti microphone. That's the first thing that'll have to get updated at some point, but we're just two simple Midwestern folk. Making it work, Bracken. Um, I got I got something I got to ask you about. When's the last time you peed your pants? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Our audience must think so little of us. So little. We had the, Lisa does the get to know your host trivia every Sunday. And one of them recently was, I peed my pants on an, in, get tr- waiting to get off an international flight. And they were pretty split. They did, they thought it was either you or me. And it, there wasn't really a overwhelming lean one side or the other. But more than the fair share of guesses thought that we were at least in our 20s when this happened. Adults. Adults. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's, what What aura do we give off that makes people think we're still pants wetters? I, I have no idea. But how old were you back in when this happened? Eight, maybe nine. We went to Ireland oh. as a family. It was an overnight flight. And getting off, there was a queue of 300 people ahead of us. And I couldn't get to the bathroom. And I was overtired, probably half asleep. And I peed my wind pants. <laughs> it's nothing worse than peeing your wind oh, pants. Just bracket. cling to you like wet saran wrap. You know, I'll make you feel a little better about this. I haven't peed my pants since I was like six, maybe seven. 
And mom brought me to the, the gas station and I got a big gulp. Like one of those 64 ounces, the ones that like are beyond measure. Mm-hmm. She let me treat myself with Mountain Dew for like 99 cents. And I sucked that thing down and I fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> on her new boyfriend's couch <laughs> at the time. So I soaked up that dude's Were couch. Were you able to stop or did you empty 64 ounces? It all came out, brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, it was a bad day that next day for everybody involved. But anyways, I want to make you feel better. I was like six. So peeing your pants is a terrible feeling when you know what's about to happen. You know you're too old to, doing, to do it. And you know that it can't be helped. Yep. Even worse is then walking through the airport, going through customs, waiting for your luggage before you get to change. Were your shoes squeaking a little bit on the inside or did it not make I don't it remember I have a I have this recollection that the elastic band at the bottom of the pants acted like a a water balloon closure <laughs> I can't verify it was bad oh, all right well I just wanted to clear the air on that one I, I, I it wasn't me I wasn't the trivia answer but that led to the trivia yesterday which was also me uh, I've been charged by a Bullkirk and that happened that same trip in Ireland did it get to you it didn't Hmm. We, my brother and I were crossing these fields. We stayed on a, at the t- there weren't Airbnbs, but we rented a, a farmhouse in the middle of the countryside. And we were, there was another family a mile up or two miles up that lived in Ireland full time. And we were played soccer with them every day. We meet up and play. The kids were about our age. And so my brother and I were jogging over there to get there. We kept ducking under these weird wire fences. And suddenly we were, I was face to face with a bull just staring me down. And my brother was probably 30 yards behind me. He slipped back under the fence and the thing, uh, the thing went on my first move. <laughs> it came right at me. And I, I hauled back to that fence, slid under like, a, like some sort of action hero. And, and it just stopped. I don't know what it would have done, but it, it knew to stop at the fence. And it didn't have to. It could have gone right through that fence. <laughs> Animals aren't kind to us. That's what I'm realizing. Although we keep them in prison. So maybe we're not kind to us. <laughs> That's, yeah, I'm that's the one who's been charged by a bull. Who would have thought? Pants peeing, bull charging, bracken and crap. I might have had those same pants on by that point. I might have cleaned them out in, a, in an Irish well. <laughs> so, um, bracken, bracken, bracken. Today is a very exciting day for us, bracken. Yes, it is. And we need, we need to let the people know what today is. What is today, bracken? Today the plan drops. What plan, bracken? The running public OCR training plan. The running public OCR training plan. Let it sink in, folks. It is live, it is here, and it is ready for. Are you ready for it? I am now. I went through prior to this recording, I created a fake user on Training Peak since that's where we're hosting. And I basically went, I, I sent myself the invite and I went through it as a, if I were a user. I clicked the link. It took me there. I had to create a free account. It didn't make me pay for it, which (laughs) that was one of my worries. They're like, yeah, it works with free accounts, but you always assume that they're going to pull the rug out. It worked. I logged in. My workouts were waiting. I logged sample results and it curated my stats for the week. And it's beautiful. Now, Big Jim is the user. The hypothetical Big Jim was blown away at how much bang for the buck there was. Uh This is going to be shameless self-promotion here, folks. I want to be real clear on that. We are so proud of this thing and how cheap it is that we're going to gush today. And you're just going to have to put up with it for a little bit until we get into our second topic. Well, we've worked hard on this. This has been a long time in the making for us, Breck. And I think we have probably talked about the idea for the last six to nine months, Mm -hmm. took the idea seriously 
the last six to three months and then actually put this thing together in the last few months. Everything from the back end to the very purposeful workouts to getting it all in sync to making it user friendly. We want this to be like a fantastic experience that is so stupidly and reasonably priced that you almost like have to do it because the product's amazing. It's like we're giving it away. Kirk, you had a quote early on. You said our goal should be that they're foolish if they don't do it. That was my one goal. You're an idiot if you don't do it. Yeah. I like that because we were talking about price point. We we're thinking we could sell this for, I don't know, 50 to $70 a month because it's that good. But we probably should keep it under 50 just because we want ease of access. So our, our goal with the podcast was to give away as much info as possible for free and not monetize it. And then we decided to take that same mentality into this was we want to give away as much as possible. And then finally, Kirk just said, let's just make it so cheap that people would be foolish not to do it. Well, we did that. And I will say, we'll get to that in a second here. But it's a little ironic that we're coming out with a training plan after <laughs> like a coaching episode, yes. right? I will say, you know, we want to distinguish the two, right? Coaching is 100% personalized. There's a constant dialogue flow. You're available at any time for questions, modifications, all of that. If you are being coached, then there's a training plan, which you kind of mentioned it a couple of times as being like a template, but this isn't really a template. No. I would say this is in between a training plan and having a coach because the way this has been customized, the way this has been thought out, the way this is being periodized in the back of our heads to take us through the season um, would just make it more meaningful, I believe, than just a pure training plan. It's labeled as the running public training plan. Yes. But I feel like it's more than that. Yes, it is. Yeah, we what what was what was one of our our core tenants from the start? We were going to under promise over deliver. That was which was easy because no one really expected anything out of this podcast. <laughs> Correct. Maybe they still don't. But then even if they get anything, it's over delivering. So we wanted to do that with this. What we did is we sat down and we looked at the flow of the OCR season, and then we assigned a faceless generic athlete to our care. And we built mm -hmm. out a plan as if we were writing a personalized training plan for that athlete. Yep. And, and the general flow of the OCR season. And I will say that even if you're not an OCR athlete, if you're a trail runner or even like a road runner, this is still very like valuable mm -hmm. to you. But it follows the general flow of what happens is we typically start with, start with shorter, spicier, faster races, and then we build to longer, grindier races. Correct. And so the general flow of the plan throughout the year is going to follow that general template building to championship type races, still building really purposeful fitness along the way. Yeah. So we based it as if this athlete came to us and said, I'm going to hit every U.S. National Series race for Spartan and then world championships and maybe a couple other championship style OCR world championships, world's toughest mud or whatever it's going to be at the fall. So we need to be at peak fitness then, but also be at many peaks throughout the year to be good. And then we modified it slightly to, if you're not racing there, those are deload and testing weeks. So even if you don't mm -hmm. race Jacksonville or you don't race Utah or you don't race Big Bear or West Virginia, the flow follows the need for that, but then it just primes you for a retest week or you plug in if you happen to have a local race or whatever else you're doing that weekend. Since Spartan is infamous, as is everyone else in our industry, for putting the multiple events mm -hmm. on the same weekend. Yeah, and if races were to get canceled or anything like that, uh, which is out of our control, of course, and out of your control, uh, then we will e suggest either a time trial, a race sim, or something of that yes. nature on those days. So you're going to get, you're going to be building to something with purpose regardless. Yeah. So, so why don't we tell them what 
what they're all getting with the training plan, how the, what they can expect uh, if they purchase this, um, give, give us the broad stroke on, on what the weeks look like and how that. So seven days a week of scripted programming. Sunday is active recovery, but there are recommendations and protocol for that on there. Uh, you will have two full-on quality workouts per week, Tuesday and Saturday. You will have a skill-based workout on Thursdays that is either based on getting vert or doing some OCR skill. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday is aerobic development work. So every single day has a scripted workout with a prescribed duration and intensity, and you have a flow from week to week. It's not just this mm -hmm. week and then this week. It is we go a couple weeks up and then we deload for a week, couple more weeks up and then we deload and we periodize what we're working on based on the premise of the season. Yep. And this is a flowing training plan, which means whenever you join, you will join where the training plan is. It's not like everybody starts at week one, because if you join in three months, we're going to be at a different place in the season with different needs for our training. So this is a, a rotating spindle, which means when you hop on, you are getting what we think is appropriate for that time of year, given where we're at in the season. Yes, It's not a start at day one. It's a start with us whenever you start with us and hop right into the work we believe is necessary for right now. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's kind of like you're on a running in a running club or a high school or a college team where everyone's training through the same flow of the season, but maybe for different events and they're coming in with different levels of fitness. And when that happens with a running club or a high school or across our uh, college team, generally what happens is you will join in with whatever's happening, but you you prorate and and uh, personalize your durations. You keep the intensities that the team's doing, but you maybe I don't get 60 minutes on my easy run. I get 25 or mm -hmm. I'm not going to get eight by thousand. I'm going to get five by thousand. And then I build into accepting all the other work, but you're hitting the skill worker along the way so that you can still hit minor races in the meantime, and you can still work out with all your buddies. That's the style of this. So if Kirk, big gym, our fake user starts tomorrow on day one, he is getting his first quality workout. And if five weeks later, someone else joins, they are getting gyms fifth quality workout, they're coming into the progression right then. And so it is progressive mm -hmm. in nature, but everyone starts when they start. You just, you move to a new city, you join a running club, you show up on Tuesday and you're going to do their workout just personalized to whatever level you can hit it at. Well, we thought long and hard about this and we thought, okay, do we want to, because we, we believe in building with purpose. We believe in periodized builds. We believe in different phases of training. And Bracken and I really went back and forth about, do we want to start everybody on day one and build them from the ground up? In an ideal world, sure, but we all would have started together a couple of months ago. That isn't the case. And the best real thing is to just keep this clock moving forward um, and following the season. So we did that. There's a second piece of that I want to add. And, yeah. and we had thought about it. And one of the key points that we liked is that this will allow people to talk to each other. It'll keep that sense of community with it. Where if, Kirk, you start on day one and five weeks later I start and I'm on my day one, then I might be the only person on the planet doing my progression. But if I join in five weeks later, I have everyone else on this plan that I can bounce ideas off of. And if we ever need get questions throughout the week, we answer the same question rather than answer that one question every day for a year. And if we ever want to talk about an upcoming workout or a past result on the podcast, it speaks to everyone who's on it rather than maybe one person who happened to do it that day. And you bring up a good point about uh, questions. Um, 
no, I guess we wouldn't be your coach technically. Nope. However, we we are still servants to the running public in a sense in that if you have questions, like you can shoot us a message on, in our DMs about something and we will be happy to answer them. So that is, you know, part of the deal, I feel like. And that's that's been our theme all along. Yeah. Um, when, it, when it comes to these workouts, guys, you're going to see – uh, what we've talked about on this podcast for the last year reflected in that. You're going to see some familiar faces in a sense where maybe some workouts we've talked about. You're going to see the principles that we've discussed infused in your plan. Um, I was having some conversations with a few new athletes last week, and they have been building out their own training plans on their own based off of the podcast. I literally had like three gentlemen in a row I talked to, and I was so damn proud of them. But what they said and which I agree with is I have all the puzzle pieces because I've listened to your podcast, but I don't know how to arrange them still, right? It's great. We've given you plenty as far as the ingredients, but we didn't give you the recipe, so to speak. And so we're giving you that. We're actually putting the puzzle pieces in the right place for you based on all the things that we've discussed over the last year. And so that's really like the secret sauce, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing randomized here. It's progressive workouts. Yeah. So- Let's tell them, Bracken, how much can the running public expect to pay for this training plan? $19.99. $19.99 a month. Let that sink in. If I wrote this plan for you, I would charge you no less than $50. I'd charge $75. If you were the person who this fit their life and I wrote this for you, it would be no less than $150 because it was built for you. So it's, again, we're, it's almost being given away. And again, that's intentional. Our, yes, we're finally going to monetize a portion of this podcast. But mm-hmm. the point is still to give away the ingredients and the recipe for as low as possible so that you can still keep doing your own thing. And so again, we want you to understand that we are not offering our coaching for this. Like You don't get my phone number with this. You don't get Zoom calls. You're not going to be emailing Kirk each week for a weekly recap in your check-ins. You are going to be coaching yourself with an entire guidebook on how to do it. Exactly. And then we got to talking. And if you know anything about me, you know that I like to throw the weights around once in a while. Bracken does too, I suppose. And we thought we need to include some strength with this. Yes, we do. So we're going to throw on the strength add-on for an extra five bucks a month. If you want us to take care of all of your strength programming, Metcon work, any of that stuff, infused in your program. Now, the running public training plan is the running, the OCR work, the skill work, the carries, the compromise work, all that stuff is in the training plan. If you want the strength work in which we believe is best suited to help you race your best, that's an option as well. We'll add that in for another five bucks uh, a month and we customize your strength program following the the outline of the season. So if you never want to think about your training, it's $24.99 a month. If you like doing your own strength work or you've got guys you meet up with that or you go to CrossFit or whatever, it's $19 a month. And that gives you everything other than the power work. There will still be compromised running. There will still be reps that strength reps inside of some of your running. But in terms of just standalone weight room work, that doesn't come with the normal plan. And honestly, that's just yeah, to not correct. put some of the strength trainers in this industry out of work. <laughs> we'll find out, I suppose. It's good. I mean, I wrote the programming. Um, I wrote the programming last week, I guess. And if I'm going to be honest with you, it's following my own programming. So you're getting right now what I'm doing. And it includes grip work. It includes core work. I'm a, I, you know, I preach the heavy core work. You're going to get that in case you're wondering what to do there. And it's literally, I did a workout this morning that almost outlines one of mm-hmm. the strength workouts that I have programmed in week one. So, and we talk about I mean. doing things that you wouldn't normally get for this price point. The strength training is paired to the 
section of or, or to the phase of training that your running is. And so it's not just we're going five by five all year round and it's not just we're doing circuits all year round. It's we're basing our rep range, our exercises and any sort of Metcon work that we do around what the running focus of that month or that block of training is. So it's it's paired yeah. together and it's again, not randomized. It, it progresses with the plan, which is not something you get for five dollars. Yep. And I will give you a little a little sneak peek in there. I really I waffled over how I wanted to approach this. Um and it's time to move out of the heavy five by five phase, in my opinion, if you got races coming up. So I've shifted out of that into more race specific type movements, more single leg, more single plane of motion, um, more athletic type. With still some maintenance power work, I noticed. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's power work in there. Of course. Of course there's power work in there. Oh, oh, oh. So where do people find this, Bracken? Where do people go and get this thing? Well, the only way to get this is to go to the runningpublic.com. We have a website which some of you have found over the past months is not functional because <laughs> Kirk and I, much like Kirk likes to source his meat himself, we like to do everything <laughs> ourselves. And we wanted to not just buy our meat at the supermarket. We wanted to know how it was made and where it came from with our website. So we learned to build it ourselves. Maybe crappily, there's going to be some people that are tech-based in their their day-to-day lives and they're going to scoff at this website and, and we don't care we're, we're proud of this website uh we will take your advice and your tips because we are always trying to be better with what we do but we're proud of the website it's functioning as far as i can tell and we can test it's functioning so on the running you will see the coaching tab at the top you click on that and then click on training plans and it just gives you the opportunity right there to through a, a paypal secure link to sign up for your subscription and it will just automatically bill you and it'll just run smoothly but you'll get an email we'll get an email announcing that you're there and then you'll get a follow-up email from us instructing you on how to get access to our training peaks plan so you have to sign up for a training peaks account and they have free and they have paid um, we have it set up so that you only have to do free. There is no charge. There is no um, setup charge. There is no recurring fee from Training Peaks. You just create a free account. And then once you do that, you um, are assigned to our group. So your email will include a private link to our training group. As soon as you click on that, you are added to our group and your training will just simply appear there. Beautiful. Magic. Ma- magic. Really, it is simple enough. Um what else do people need to know? I will say that on the runningpublic.com, um, still updating a few things. T-shirt orders have gone through. Uh, they're just not in yet. You'll see that in our shop uh, coming up shortly. I'll probably remove the T-shirt section. <laughs> the, the order comes in for us. We will open up the ability for you guys to order shirts. And we just looked at samples and they're pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, what else do they need to know about that, Bracken, before we move to our topic of the day? Uh, so you need to know that once you get there and you see it, the aerobic work and the recovery work, we give you a range. We call it Sprint Super Beast, and it has a different duration range for each one. And it's about choosing the volume that's good for you right now. And then you are in charge of progressing it throughout your season. But we have verbiage in there for how to do that. But you basically choose what you know you can safely do right now, keep it for a block, and then bump your volume up. Keep it for a block, bump your volume up. And we have scheduled deload weeks in there. So the most thinking you have to do is how long am I going on my easy and recovery days? And what pace or effort am I using on my quality days? But again, we have verbiage in there instructing you on how to choose that. 
Yeah, pretty seamless. That's the one thing I say about being like a personal trainer and coach. Like the reason I have a job is so other people don't have to. Th- yes. Right? You think enough in your day to day life at work. You have kids. What to cook for freaking dinner? What to put on TV um, at night? Well, like let us take care of the thinking for you. You got enough thinking to do in your life. That's what the point of this is. Yes. It's pretty thought out thinking. Um, anything else to add to it? I think I think we we gave our pitch. Yeah. I don't want to go too far into this. I just want people to know that there's a lot of work put into this. This is not randomized. This is not thoughtless. This is predicated around what needs to be done to be at your best throughout a race year for the sport of OCR. Could a runner or trail runner get a lot out of this? Yes. But um, we're also going to have options for that. All I know is that when I started OCR training with you way back in the day, when mm-hmm. we first met each other, uh, my road running improved, my trail running improved. Even though I was doing OCR specific training, it did bleed into the other categories. So yes, I just don't think it's only OCR exclusive that would benefit. Correct. Yeah. All right. Enough about that. Should we jump into our topic? Yeah. And it's for us a relatively smooth segue. It is? I think so. All right. Do we make a segue? Is this our segue? I'll segue it and then you talk about it because this is your brainchild. Sure. I couldn't agree more with it, but this came from your mind. So one of the big things that happens when you start, let's say you start with our training plan or you started with a coach this off season, or you took the things that we or someone else talked about in a podcast, you implemented it into your training, your fitness always changes most of the time for the better. And with that mentality has to adjust as well. And Kirk's idea is we need to talk about what increased fitness means for you physically and mentally today. Yeah. Uh, more, I would just say to simply put it, we don't train. So the race doesn't hurt. We train so we can tolerate it. Can we repeat that? I just want people to know that we're not training so that it hurts less. We're training so that we can tolerate it. Yep. Exactly. There. I think it's sunk in. You want to repeat it again? Or do we just have them rewind if they want to hear it one more time? We don't train. So the race doesn't hurt. The race is going to hurt. We train so we can tolerate it. Got it. Sorry, mouthing that along with me, Bracken. That's how I know you like it. Etched into my soul. That's a quote that, you know, I'm sure I stole. I've seen it other places. But I had an athlete um, sort of say, like, God, like I'm working so hard and the intervals are just wiping me out and uh, kicking my butt. And it's just like every workout so hard. The quality workouts, of course, they're talking about. They're like, is it ever going to get better? And I was like, nope. (laughs) <laughs> no, because when your fitness improves, your output's going to increase. Thus, you're going to still be in the pain cave at certain amount of uh, certain workouts, and that's not gonna that's not gonna change. Yes, will running get a little smoother at times? Of course, will recovery run sometimes be less laborsome? Yes, but fitness and you mentioned this, I believe, on the last one of the last podcasts. As your fitness rises your ability to tolerate and sit in pain rises as well. And that's really all tying together in the same thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It really is. There's two things that happen that you can do with new fitness. The first is you can work the same. If you work at the exact same rate, it's easier because you are more fit. So if you were running a race and you stayed at, let's say, eight-minute mile pace on all the flats, well, now... If you stay at eight minute mile on all the flats, it might be an eight out of 10 pain scale rather than a nine and a half out of 10. So yes, it gets easier, but you haven't improved. Your potential has improved, but because you're not working as hard, you're doing the same work with less effort. 
Or you can be a racer and you can keep that same nine and a half out of 10 pain scale. And now you're just faster. But people look at the top end and they say, man, they make it look so easy. It'd be so nice to just glide out there. And now I say, yeah, yeah, it would be real nice until you get behind that veneer that they've put up over their face and you Mm -hmm. got to go inside their body for a race and realize this person might even be hurting more than me because they're sustaining a higher work rate longer into the race than I'm capable of now. So when I fall apart and crumble and jog it in, they're still keeping it pegged and it's still hurting all the way through. Think of some of the most fit athletes that you can think of in our sport or any sport. The people you're like, they are a monster. They are a beast. They are so fit. I want to be as fit. I can't imagine being as fit. And then take those same people and look at their faces when they cross the finish line. Do you think that was easy for them? Do you think that that was a cakewalk? I would argue that those fit people suffered more than you did, in fact, because they've put in the work. They've earned the right to sit in the miserable suck fest longer than you can. Just as Bracken outlined, and I talked about this with my 5K time trial. I don't know if you remember it. Once that 5K time trial that I recently had done to test my baseline fitness hit me, I couldn't fight through it anymore. It was a slow death and I had no control over it, right? What happened to your heart rate in that? Mile three. What did happen to my heart rate in that? I think it dropped. I couldn't even sustain it. Same as mine. We didn't have the fitness to keep our heart up anymore. Yep, because I I could not sustain that rate of work for that long with the fitness I had had. Um, Whereas if you go back and look at data from a time trial when I'm very fit, my heart rate almost rises steadily all the way to the sprint finish. And for example, that would be an indicator that I was able to sustain my effort. And, And honestly, that time trial hurt more than the one that didn't go as well because I was able to sit in it longer. So I just want you to say like, yes, fitness is relative. It's individualized. Being able to push is somewhat of a subjective thing. But I am telling you that being fit does not exempt you from hurting. No, it doesn't. I have thrown up after one race in my life and it was my PR for my indoor mile race. Really? Yeah, because I timed my fitness well, but I timed the race well and I was able to stay at the fastest paces I could maintain all the way through the line. I was closing the whole second half of the race and every meter I ran from 800 meters on was the fastest I had run in the second half of a race ever. And I ran, I PR'd, I placed in conference in the indoor mile, which is something that I shouldn't have done because I was an 800 meter runner and I vomited for 20 minutes afterwards. Proud of you. And I've, and I've never done it again. I've never done it prior, but it was just, I was so fit that I was able to work so much harder all the way through than usual, because usually you either win the race or you get dropped. And if you get dropped, it's really hard to stay on it. But the more fit you are, the more you can stay on it and you just break through into new levels of of hurt, but you're also tougher. So even though I was miserable afterwards, that mile didn't necessarily hurt more than another mile I'd ran. I could just tolerate it and it hurt later. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. You get the argument like, um, like let's say somebody who takes longer out on course than you. Let's say we have an open wave who's getting into the sport and they say, well, sure, it's not nearly as hard for you. You were out there half the time I was. Mm-hmm. You hear that a lot, right? Like, sure, if I could run a beast in two hours, that'd be no problem, but it takes me four. Yeah. And they'd be like, so you don't have to work as hard as I do. And that argument right there, I like to squash. Yes. Because over how many decades of endurance training have we earned the right to sit in the suffer fest for longer than somebody who's untrained can? And so- Also, they're right. They suffer more in a different way. In a different way. They hit more full body, dull fatigue- and Correct. just mental dreariness than we hit. Absolutely. 
It would be like, the difference would be like this. It would be like somebody rubbing sandpaper against your arm until it's raw versus somebody slicing it with a knife. Yeah. I can, I can, we can tolerate that slice repeatedly and choose to just sit there and let it happen. Whereas it's that slow, like I'm slowly just miserably mm-hmm. dying sandpaper grit. That's how I would describe the difference. Um, so what do we do with this? Like this statement I making or we're making about your ability to suffer and rising with your fitness and all of that. Well, the first, I think you need to frame your, your effort that you're about to go into. If Jacksonville is your first race of the season or Savage in uh, Georgia is going to be your first race or Aloha, St. Patty's Day 5K, if you're coming in with a new level of fitness, oftentimes we expect to be bulletproof. I catch myself all the time in the middle of workouts or recovery days, long runs, envisioning just floating through the course. Mm-hmm. people falling to the left and right of me. And I'm just floating the way you see people on TV floating when they're winning. But what we need is a pain meter above their head. So we <laughs> could actually see the difference between what they look like and what they're enduring in that moment. And so going in, expecting things to feel good sets you up for failure. In fact, you can come in with better fitness and have a worse result because when the pain punches you in the face, you're not prepared for it. It's, it's why that you see people in normal life get hit in the face one time and they crumple to the ground in pain and they don't get up, even if it's not a knockout blow. But a boxer or a fighter can take repeated shots. It's because they're expecting it and they're prepared for it. This mm-hmm. weekend, Max Holloway set the UFC record for strikes in a, in a, in a fight with over 400 landed strikes, significant strikes. Wow. That beat the previous record combined fight total from both fighters. He landed over 400 himself and the guy made it to the bell. Now, how many of us out there, if someone came up to us and started punching us would last 400 punches? <laughs> Not many. We couldn't, we couldn't. But had you told him you're about to endure 400, I don't think he could have either. But because he went in deciding whatever I endure, I endure. As it kept building, as it kept building, he just kept moving with the shots, expecting them to be coming and just kept thinking, all right, I'll take one more. I'll take one more. I'll take one more. That's the same way racing is. If you suddenly got hit with all the pain of an intense race when you're really fit and you're working that hard, you could not handle it. But if you went insane, I know this is going to hurt and I'm just going to make it another hundred meters, another quarter mile, another mile. That's how you get through a race. So if you don't have that reframed mindset, you're setting yourself up for failure. It's actually one of the biggest traps is, is we all do it too. And you just outlined it. Like envisioning yourself floating through the course and it's effortless and you're running five minute mile pace, but yet you feel no pain. And yes, have there been glimpses of that in races for either of us? They're fleeting, but yes. But going in with the expectation, like, oh, you like envision your best workout you've had up to that point in that build. And you think that's how the race is going to feel. And it never does. So what I recommend as far as yes, the race is going to hurt um, actually Ryan Atkins, uh, wrote like, I guess he linked like an article or something. You can go back and look at his, um, his Instagram, but talking about visualization, mm-hmm. envisioning how the grass smells, envisioning the first sting of going over the over under through, or the, the mounds with the water in between, um, rolling mud, things like that. Like, in fact, expecting it to hurt instead of in visualizing like the clouds to part and you to have that graceful floating day um, is really important because we all think we're going to show up and have the best day we're ever going to have. But, but by the time you travel and don't sleep as much and uh, Spartan courses have a way of kind of breaking you down anyways, mm-hmm. 
that's going to feel a lot different than your quarter mile repeats with 90 seconds rest, which is posh compared to a yes. race. So I, I just like that you said that because um, if you go and expecting the punches, then you're going to be able to take more. And I think that was well outlined. Yeah. Yeah. There's that famous Mike Tyson quote, right? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yep. But if your plan includes getting punched in the face, <laughs> you can stick to your plan. It yes. may rock you more or less than you're expecting. But if you say, I'm going to get hit in the face and that's okay. Now you're the exception to that rule. Mm -hmm. We haven't done an analogy in a while other than that MMA one in boxing we just did. Okay. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I have a very visceral experience in my life that I think lends itself well to this. When I first started running, I hated competing because I had never trained. I was always out of shape, but I was way too competitive and just talented enough that I was at the front of each race but not good enough to win most of them. And so I would, the same thing would happen. I'd immediately be tired in the race and I'd hang on the best I could slowly get dropped, slowly get dropped. And if I was close enough to the finish, I'd summon this really big sprint finish and I'd kick down. I'd either win or I'd come up short and I'd just be nauseous afterwards for a half hour. But it was always track because that's what we had in middle school. And it was always hot because Wisconsin summers are hot and humid. Mm. And the smell of track when it is hot is a very distinct smell, especially if it's not a Mondo surface. Mm -hmm. If it's a rubberized track with some asphalt and some tar in there, it is a really, really distinct smell. And all I would have to do is smell that smell and it would take me right back to the end of a race or the middle of it when I was feeling terrible. And it got to the point where in high school, I would get to the track on race day and get nauseous by smelling the smell of the track. Interesting. Because I only ever experienced it when I had to go do it. And what finally broke it for me was I had to start doing workouts on a track every week. Even if it was easy runs, recovery runs, tempo runs, I did it all. I would do it on the infield so I wouldn't have to be on the track the whole time. But I had to smell and experience that awful nauseating smell of the track until finally it wasn't paired with failure anymore. And that's the same way with race sting and race doubts and race hurt. You have to experience that several times before you finally get punched in the nose with it on race day. And that's why we talk about all these big key workouts we do in the race sims, but it also comes back to visualization. If you visualize that terrible track smell enough in a happy moment, you can come back to that when you have to finally get on the track. It doesn't have to be gloom and doom when you smell it and realize, well, here comes the vomit comment and there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm going to lose because of it. It's like, oh, the last time I smelled this, I was running eight minute pace and it was glorious outside. Let's get back to that. Mm. Did you say the vomit comment? Vomit comment. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before, bragging. I didn't make it up. It's from something. Clever. I think, what, what are we getting at here, really? That's, you know, what, what are we trying to get at? We're trying to get at the fact that, one, it doesn't get easier. It remains hard. If you're in this sport, you probably are a glutton for punishment. If you listen to this podcast, you probably enjoy the suck a little bit or at least the reward afterwards. So the sky's never open. Uh, the sunshine never shines down in a sense where like this, if you're in this sport, it's going to hurt. And the better you get, I'm going to argue, the more it's going to hurt. But you train so you can tolerate it. And how do you do that? Um, Bracken just touched on it a little bit. Um, I find the people who have a hard time holding on to pain are the people who avoid threshold work. I find that the people who cannot keep their pedal pushed down when things start to suck are the ones who don't go out and do those five mile tempo runs. They don't sit in that state in training, so they 
don't even know what it feels like. They don't have the confidence to hold it. And they certainly don't have the mental capabilities to do it. Um, so the first place I would start if you are looking like, oh, I got to train for the hurt is get that heart rate up to somewhere near threshold and hold it. That's the first place I would start. That's just my opinion. How do you feel about that, Bracken? Kirk, I adjusted my training plan two days ago. Okay. Oh, you adjusted it. Do you remember what my original plan for these eight weeks was? Yeah, you're going to do just a shitload of compromise work. Paired with real speed work. Real speed work, yeah. What was I throwing out? Threshold work. And long runs. And long runs. And after two weeks of this, I felt really good in training. And I needed to get I needed to get away from having some break in between my nasty efforts. Mm-hmm. So for the next 10 days, I'm hitting three threshold efforts because I need to get that dose in there. I don't have time to do a full block, but I'm going to get three solid threshold work days in. Four mile tempos, two mile out, two mile back, um, somewhere between four and six, depending on my loop. But I've got to sit in it. Because interval work, as nasty as it gets, you get a brief, brief break, and you Mm -hmm. can refocus and get back to it. In threshold work, you're right. You get in it, you sit in it, it grows, it builds, it grows and builds, and you sit in it. You get to know it. You get cozy with it. Wallow around in it. Exactly. The last two miles of a hard tempo, and these I might cross over threshold. They wouldn't be the kind you would do in a sustained block because it defeats the purpose. But the last two miles of a six-mile tempo to me, there's no hiding. You're stripped bare. Whatever you have left in your stride is what you have left. Mm-hmm. And you sit in it. And everything's raw at that point. There's no armor on anymore. You're just raw and everything hurts. And that's exactly what I need. So, Kirk, I concur. I just went through it. And now I'm going to enact it in my own training because you can't you can't fake that type of sustained pain tolerance. If you're avoiding that sort of thing, what would I describe if, if somebody doesn't really, if you're not super in touch with your threshold, totally fine. When I assign it to athletes, it will say, you know, let's go for a five mile tempo run or threshold run today. And all I'll put is in an asterisk is a notch below race effort. Go get, go get familiar with that feeling and go for it. Right. Um, Back in college, I guess I have a story for you. I was a uh, I was a bit of a workout king in college bracket. I don't know if you know this about me. You're still a workout king. <laughs> but I would, for example, I, I went to college with a, a guy, Matt Gross. I don't know if you know Matt Gross. He was a sub four-minute miler. He holds the facility records at UW-Whitewater where I trained every day and looked at his name every time I jogged a recovery lap. Okay. Well, he ran 145 or 146 in the eight. And he I was lucky enough to be his teammate at UWO. And once in a while, we'd have 200 meter repeats or 400 meter repeats and other things that I would hang with. I'd go run with a sub four minute miler on his shoulder and do repeats. And then it would come to perform and I'd run 409 and he'd run 401 and he'd be in an indoor track. That's I can't even see him. The straightaway is so short. Mm-hmm. And I was losing connect. And what I realized is what was missing for me being more of a short twitch athlete on the running spectrum is I never did, sure, I was fast, don't get me wrong, but we never did tempo work. We never did threshold work. As the season wore on, we got sharper and sharper and sharper, but we took more and more rest. And what ended up happening is I, would, I wouldn't I would be able to sustain it, probably because I wasn't familiar with sitting in that amount of discomfort for as long as I needed to to race. So I could put it together in workouts when I got a reprieve, but as soon as I didn't get that reprieve, it always just built too much and my bucket overflowed and I couldn't hang on. 
And I realized that and then took that into my training now as an adult and an endurance athlete that what do I need? I mean, have you seen my training lately, Bracken? How much threshold work am I doing? It's oozing. All the threshold. All the threshold work. Because I understand as an athlete, that's what I need to do to, to ride just below that line and tolerate it. So just a little example of that with my ability. I could perform well in workouts and short workouts and stay with a guy who is hands down better than me. But I think he had a better capacity underneath it and a better pain tolerance than I had built at the time. And so um, threshold work. That's interesting. Do you know what Matt Gross is up to nowadays? Rowan. He's a national record holder for rowing now. Dude, this guy's a stud. His his engine is huge. And he did High Rock Chicago. Matt Gross, if you're listening, we should touch base, brother. It's been a while. I messaged with him briefly afterwards, just telling him I thought it was cool that he jumped into it. Because he's he's not an OCR guy whatsoever. He's a stud runner who became a stud rower. Mm-hmm. And he threw himself out there. But yeah, that guy is a freak. Freak, yeah. Um. You know, this isn't like an entire episode devoted to this topic. Obviously, we wanted to talk about the training plan today and we wanted to give you something to take away. Um, What more do you have to add to the conversation of like working hard, sitting in it, fitness, the whole thing? I think we talked, I talked about the mind shift, how you have to kind of change what you're doing. You unlock new levels of pain, but you also unlock new levels of strategy that you have to focus on. When you first get into racing, it's just, I'm going to go as hard as I can for as long as possible, and then I'll get better each week. But eventually you get to the point where you get to worry about things that you weren't even, you couldn't even afford to worry about before. Sure. And you're talking about the nitty gritty now. Let's spend some more time at threshold. Let's visualize the smell of the grass. Let's expect the first punch. And that's really what this gets into. You have to get to a new level mentally in order to unlock your new physical levels. They don't always arrive at the same time. If you're doing big workouts and quality work throughout, they trail each other pretty closely, but sometimes you pop a race before the fitness really says it's there. And sometimes you fail in a race when the fitness says, oh, I'm clearly here already. And it's because those two haven't aligned yet. The Mm. better you get, the sharper you get, the more your mind and body have to be aligned perfectly for the task. And so now is that time for visualization. You have to be going to bed, thinking about how things are going to be. You have to enter workouts saying, I have a rep range of eight to 10 today. I am hitting 10 because eight is the same as when I quit with 800 meters to go in the workout or in in a race. You have to think when I start getting nauseous on that hill rep, this is the one I need to bear down on, not the one I back away from because I'm going to get nauseous in the race, but I need to learn what happens. I need to learn, do I actually throw up and die or does it rise, 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 crest? And then I've can hold at that level now because you didn't even get to that point with your past fitness. And now Mm -hmm. you're unlocking new levels of discomfort that feel differently in your body. And the really, really good people have gotten comfortable with those new levels where it's new to you. So you have to start playing around with those. Yeah, I agree. That's well said. Um, Just, just adding into the, the threshold conversation, like the the two ways to do it really is, is to, you know, what suck is and then sit in it. Right is is the threshold work and it's what is it 80 percent of the reason that we believe in prescribe ocr compromise work mm-hmm. is just understanding what hurting feels like and then being forced to do it repeatedly you know really threshold work and ocr work is molding the knife it's shaping the knife and those flashy speed workouts are just sharpening the tip but the bulk of your ability to sit in pain and suffer and and rise with your fitness is, is through those fundamentals. And that's, that's why we preach them. So that also ties into the plan you're about to get if you hop on board. Yeah, for sure. So, 
We talked about the analogy of that guy in the boiler room, how I like to think about what can I handle? The gauges are spinning out of control. Lights, bells are flashing. When you get new fitness, you have to upgrade all your gauges, all your mm -hmm. bells, because they're going to start flashing in new ways, but you need a new spectrum to compare that against. The first time you're in that new boiler room in a race or a hard simulator with new fitness, things are popping off that are really worrisome, but you have to find out are those warning bells, this is sustainable, or are these, we're going to explode and all hands go down with the ship? Well, and There's only one way to find that out, and you don't want to find it out on race day. You don't want to underestimate it and blow up and die, but you also don't want to get to the end and be like, oh man, I could go do that again. Because then you know, my gauges weren't calibrated. I thought I was in the danger zone, but there was a deeper place I could have got to. So you've got to readjust the way you you accept and monitor and internalize pain. I'll tell you what, if you're not in touch with it now and you plan on, on going to Jacksonville and racing or one of these early races, we got about six weeks, just under six weeks until that first big race. And then there's a few more to follow and other you know, race um, venues and such. Um, you got a really nice month window right now to get in touch with it. So if you're not in touch with it, get in touch with it now. You got about till 10 days out from that first race to really get in touch with it before you mm -hmm. maybe just need to dial dial off the, the gas pedal or let up on the gas pedal a little bit. So we're getting to the, this to you in time. You're going to have the workouts if you hop on board with the plan. They're going to help you get there. Frame your mind right, help you get there. And then when you show up and everybody running out of the gates like a bat out of hell seems ridiculous, and you're starting to suffer. It's not going to be the first time you feel it. It's not going to be the second or third or fourth or fifth. It's going to be the 12th time you felt it in the last six weeks. It's not gonna be a big deal. You're gonna race like a stud. That's what I think. Cue the music. Cue the music. Runningpublic.com, get the training plan.